Good morning. Welcome to worship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Please join with me in the prayer of the day. O God, God of, of justice and, and love, you illumine our way through life with the words of your Son. Give us the light we need and awaken us to the needs of others. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our Holy Gospel is from the 25th chapter of Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him on that wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to join me as we offer up the Holy Spirit prayer in our time of meditation today. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit instructs the hearts of the faithful, Grant that by that same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I was just thinking last night as I was praying that prayer during the sermon that the pastor that we had in Grantsburg, Wisconsin was the pastor of that church for 35 years. How would you like to listen to the same preacher for 35 years? Well, apparently there, was mu there must have been something about him that made, uh, and, and that's why when I think about this prayer, come Holy Spirit, you know, really, it, it really is all about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because I do ask myself oftentimes, where do these words come from? Week in and week out, week in and week out. It truly is uh, amazing to me. This doomsday prophecies and books about the end, like the late great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. I think I read the book twice. Now a whole host of other doomsday books that were circulating back then. And I suppose in a certain sense it struck my curiosity and I, I do believe that there was for a while I found myself reading about a lot of those types of things. And I, I, I sometimes think about as I, as I go back to that particular time in my life, what was my motivation what was motivating me back then? Was it fear, perhaps? You know, obviously that was back in the day, you know, when, you know, we were doing all those drills and hiding under our 
desks in school and, you know, thinking as if that's going to save us from an atomic bomb, you know. Or we had these makeshift bomb shelters, you know, as if that was going to do anything. There was all these things, you know, earthquakes, famine, wars and rumors of wars. These were all the signs that the end was near and that Jesus was coming again. And I ask myself, did my faith at that time, did it reveal a greater sense of zeal and passion for the return of Jesus? Well, I suppose in a certain sense it did. I was putting a lot of time and effort and thinking into that. Did I fall into that category of being one of those wise bridemaids, perhaps? Well, I suppose I did for a while. But again, I, as I think back on those years of being a young Christian, I think in the overall scheme of things, I was just simply searching, just like a lot of other people. I was searching as a young person, trying to find my way in the world, searching for what might be the truth, what is the truth, searching for purpose. I was also looking for places where I was accepted or where I could find people who believed or who felt or who lived the way that I lived and who expressed faith the way I expressed my faith. And that was not an easy thing to do. But one of the things that I am grateful for in this faith journey over all these years is the sense and the reality that even to this very day, I am still seeking. I am still searching, and I am still wondering, and I still am asking questions and searching for answers. And one of the things for me, I don't, this may not apply to you, but one of the things that I have found that's helpful for me is my willingness to live with some ambiguity, some lack of clarity, to live in the gray, Grayness is fine with me. In my, in, in my understanding of my faith, and I, I don't need to have things be black and white. That's not who I am. One of the, I, I have come to a point in my life where I feel okay about living with some sense of ambiguity, some sense of uncertainty, or a, a lack of clear interpretation. And that's again where I found myself this week when it came to this passage. We talked about this in our men's fellowship on Tuesday. We had some lively conversation. <laughs> it was like nonstop conversation, wasn't it, Butch? Wasn't it, Bud? It was like this conversation just didn't stop. But at the same token, even though the conversation didn't stop, we still couldn't come to any solid sense of clarity about this text. There was this ambiguity about this parable more questions than answers. And that's okay. Or at least it's okay with me. And yet, asking questions and wondering, seeking for deeper meaning and placing ourselves within the story or, to, or in the parable is partly, I believe, what Jesus has always intended for us because I, I truly believe that that is one of the reasons why Jesus told parables. is because he wanted us to put ourselves into the story. He wanted, to, he wanted us to put ourselves into the parable. Find our place. And sometimes we're in this place and sometimes we're in this place. I mean, you think about, this, think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, where are you? 
Which one of those three people on the road are you? Ask yourself that question. You know, this parable about the bridesmaids today. Who are you in this story? Are you one of the, are you one of the bridesmaids that's smart and wise? Or are you one of the, the ones that were foolish? Are you one of those that feels as though your, your light's burning a little dim right now and that you're running out of fuel? Or are you one of those persons that feels as though you're, you're always energized and you're, you're passionate and you're fueled up for living another day for Jesus? There's all kinds of ways that we can get ourselves into this story. And I think that's one of the things that keeps this living word. This is a living word. That is a living word because it's our living word. It's God's living word. And it's one of the things that keeps this living word of God alive. It keeps it vibrant in our faith walk and in our faith journey. And I truly believe that Jesus told these parables in order to keep us engaged and to place ourselves within them. And as I, as I began to try and find my place in this parable today, in this passage this week, one of the questions that has surfaced for me is, and for you, is how is your waiting going? How is your waiting going? Don't answer. We're not supposed to do that as Lutherans, you know. But think about it. What does waiting for the bridegroom look like for you? In our waiting, what are you waiting for? Do you know what you're waiting for? Do we, do we know what we are looking for? And if we saw Jesus, if we actually saw Jesus, would we recognize him? Or if the second coming was actually happening, would we know that whatever it was that's supposed to happen is actually happening? Would we actually know it? I, I, there are just all kinds of questions that were generated for me this week as I was uh, entering into this parable. And one of the questions that I posed at the men's fellowship this past week is, have you ever envisioned what that feast will be like? What this new heaven and this new earth will be like? It talks about that in the Revelations text in chapter 21. The other thing it talks about in Revelations chapter 1 is it talks about making all things new. What is that going to look like? What will a celebration look like? Will there be people perhaps at the table that you didn't think would be there? Can you imagine that? And coming into a banquet thinking, oh, well, what is that person doing here? Huh? How'd they let that person in? Or one of the things that the scriptures talk about in Amos, the prophet, he talks about this justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Will that be a part of that feast? Will that be a part of the, this, this second coming? How have you envisioned the feast, this new heaven, this new earth where God's kingdom comes in all of its fullness and this broken earth is restored and made whole? Is that what it's going to be? Do we, do we think that's going to be a part of it as well? My question to you today, another question, and it's by virtue of the fact that Jesus is already the living, active Lord and Savior of our life, are we not already living into and actively a part of the feast celebration in virtue of the fact that Jesus is already the living, active Lord and Savior of our lives isn't the feast already happening? I'd like to believe that it is. 
that a significant part of the waiting for us involves active lives of faith. Active lives of faith that are measured by what Deb Thomas asserts as all of our own healing, justice-making efforts. In other words, if we actively live into the feast celebration that is ours to live into right here and right now, we ask both individually and collectively as a church, what is the standard, what is our measure of accountability that we lean into, that we work towards, that we anticipate as we have this opportunity as the living presence of Christ in the world through the church, what is our standard, what is our measure of what it means for us to live in that celebration? And once again, I appreciate the challenging words from Deb Thomas. I think I may have told you I actually met her. She was at the, the, she was at the bishop's gathering that I attended a couple weeks ago down in Phoenix. She was one of our guest speakers I even have a photo of her with her and I, which I'm, I'm going to eventually share with you. i just got to get it to Paul so we can put it up on the overhead screen. I appreciate the challenging words from Deb Thomas who wrote, she says, what if this parable, what if this parable is telling us to be alert now, awake now, active now? What if it involves... What if, what if it's inviting us to live as if each day, which is singular and fleeting, is all that we have? I think that's a pretty important question right there. And she says, tomorrow, if it comes, will it be its own gift? If tomorrow, if it comes, will it be its own miracle? When tomorrow comes, if it comes, will it be its own challenge? And she, she's very clear about this. She says, don't presume that it belongs to you. None of us here can presume that tomorrow belongs to us. We don't have tomorrow, folks. It's, it's, it's not there yet. We hope we have tomorrow, but the reality is we don't have tomorrow. Don't presume that you got it. I mean, what did I hear on the news this morning? Young NFL football player had a wonderful football career killed in an auto accident last night. He doesn't have today. All he had was yesterday. He doesn't have today. And that's why she says that this, in, this, this parable, it's inviting us to be alert now, to be awake now, to be active now. And this is what she says. This parable is telling us that we are to be about doing what is holy and necessary now. We are to be about doing what is holy and and necessary now because all we have is today we don't think about what tomorrow is gonna be like you you have today I have today that's all we've got to me that's energizing that's that that's renewing in the sense that wow that 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 that, that gives me a sense of, of, of new sense of zeal and passion for what it means to be a person of faith in this world that somehow I can be an active living feast person now in the kingdom. And that's why we continually look to Jesus, the one who has hold of us and who continually reminds us that I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
that we look to Jesus who is our mentor of what it means for us to live lives that reflect Christ, that we look at the life of Jesus that models and lives active lives of faith today where relationships are mended. Don't wait for that relationship to be mended tomorrow. Don't, re- don't wait for that relationship to be mended in six months from now. All you've got is today. Let's look to Jesus where he teaches us and shows us the model of what it means to extend forgiveness now, to have, extend compassion and grace now. As we so aptly remind ourselves last week in the Sermon on the Mount, we live in this feast celebration today by living mercy and meekness, by comforting those who mourn, by seeking to live lives that hunger and thirst for righteousness, to actively live as peacemakers, and to be active in extending generosity to the poor. These are all the things that Jesus has taught us over and over and over again. And all we have is today to do it. Don't presume that you have tomorrow. The affirmation that I'm hearing in this parable today is that you and I are already living into and are actively a part of this feast celebration that has already started. And it started with Jesus, who is the living, active Lord and Savior of our lives. It is a feast celebration that celebrates the generosity and the graciousness of God. A celebration that's lived out daily in our individual and our corporate lives of faith. It's an active waiting that lives into that generosity of God through acts of kindness and mercy and empathy and hospitality. It's a celebration of Christ's presence among us, doing what is holy and necessary now. And the truth of the matter is, God keeps showing up. God keeps showing up every single day of our lives, even now. I don't know, we were all here last week, weren't you, for the baptism at this service? Wasn't that wonderful? That was just a, that was a beautiful thing, to have these three young children. What What was the words that I spoke, what was the words that Judy Day spoke at the Lynn? Let your light so shine so others can see it. And she lit the candles. Let the light of Christ that is within you, no matter how dim or how bright it might be, let it keep on shining. And always remember that God is the source of that light. You don't have to keep going off. You don't have to keep running off trying to find more fuel for the light because you've already got it. So stick around. Stay. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us take a moment to extend the peace with one another. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Tell what God has done. Thanks be to God.